Well, if you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The title of our lesson today is Dissecting God's Deliverance. Thank you. Dissecting God's Deliverance. You know, one of the things that is intriguing about superheroes, obviously, are their powers they have and how they use them and stuff like that. But also their origin story is interesting to us. Like you probably know about the old Spider-Man. And logically he got bit by a radioactive spider and that gave him spider powers. I mean it all makes perfect sense. There are superheroes that fall into like a vat of something like chemicals and it like gives him powers and stuff like that. You have Hulk who is in that gamma ray experiment. Most of them are like bad science experiments. So if your friend says, hey, come over, I want to try something, either you say, hey, I, I, yeah, I'll be there because I might get superpowers out of it, or you avoid it because you're, you're going to die. Um, but it is kind of unique, and then you also have the villains and their backstory and stuff like that. Well, today in the, the book of Ephesians, even more miraculous than any of those made-up origin stories is you see the Christian's origin story. We know that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he wants them to remember how they became a new creation. And so we read this today knowing that this is our story as well. The first part of um, this section, which is chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Craig taught on Wednesday. And I'm going to label the first three verses describing our deadness. Describing our deadness. And you're very, very familiar with these verses. So I want you to look at them with, with fresh eyes. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And we know we, we stop right there, we pause, and we say, what can a dead person do? Well, a dead person can do nothing. Well, I mean, they, they rot, but that's other things rotting them. They can't do anything. You are dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So, you were dead, but you were not only dead, you were continually walking according to the path of this world, which the world here is anti-God. That's what the world is. So you were walking in a path that was anti-God, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. You were Satan's tool. You were Satan's puppet. Verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh. You craved it, you got it. You wanted it, you did whatever it took to get those things. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Describing our deadness. There was nothing good in us. There was nothing we could do to earn our salvation. We were enslaved to Satan himself. And the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon us. We were vindictive. We were evil. We were deceitful. All of those things describe our deadness. 
But now, we are alive in Christ. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We are a new creation. We get to serve God now, and we will live in glory with him forever. I mean, what happened? What changed there? All right? What changed there? You, you think of Captain America, how he was the, the little scrawny guy, and he just goes into some chamber with some stuff pumped into him, and he comes out. And no, you, the ladies didn't notice this, but he came out jacked and ripped. He was, a, he was a little bit different. And the guys say, where do I get me some of that? All right, sign me up for that program. There is a drastic change, but this is way more than any superhero story. Guys, you were on your way to eternal punishment and you didn't even care. And God radically changed you and now you are one of his children, one of his servants. You see in verses four through seven, we are going to be dissecting God's deliverance. Dissecting God's deliverance. Now this isn't a gross dissecting, all right? Any of y'all had to do that in school? You had to do the dissecting thing? I think in middle school, it was the owl pellets. Gross. What do, what do I got to know? Just tell me what's in there. All right. Um, in high school, I think I did anatomy. I can't remember what the name of the class was or something like that. Um, it might have been a basic biology, but I came up with a really good deal. We had to dissect pigs. Any of y'all have to do the pig thing? Poor little pigs. We should have eaten them. They're delicious. I don't know why we were dissecting them. Um, but I, I got some partners that were involved, and there were a couple of girls that were like, hey, if you dissect, we don't want to cut. We'll do all of the paperwork. And I go, deal. In. And then they got in and we started to cut. And they're like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. Can I do that? And I go, hey, but the deal is you do the paperwork, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have to cut anything. And I didn't have to do any paperwork. But you, you do that, okay? You dissect so that you can look and so that you can learn. And you can understand how things function. I don't like that gross stuff. Even in college, I got out of all the dissecting. It was awesome. But I'm glad that there's doctors that do weird, creepy things like that so they can understand how stuff works. Well, we're going to look at God's deliverance of us. We're going to dissect that because in verse 4, what happened, our origin story is but God. But God. The God of the universe acted upon us. The God of the universe is going to call us and he's going to draw us and he is going to grant to us the repentance and faith that we need. And we first of all need to A, understand why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because we know that he is holy we know that he is righteous. We know that he hates sin. But we also learn a little bit more about his divine character. So A is why did he do it? Number one, his divine character. See that in verse four. But God being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. The being rich is a, is a participle here. So it is describing the action of what comes later about him loving us. God is a merciful God. The word rich means to be plentifully supplied with something. Plentifully supplied with something. God's 
pockets are just dripping with riches. All right? He is merciful upon merciful upon merciful. He never runs out of a supply of mercy. This mercy is kindness or concerned expressed for someone in need. And the world, unfortunately, often views God as a, as a, you know, he's in the clouds. He just got the ball rolling. He's not really interested in us now. He doesn't really care. Or he's whimsical and capricious. Or he's mean and vindictive. And man, if God was really in charge, he wouldn't let this happen. But the true, the opposite is true. He's rich in mercy. And he created us to glorify him, to honor him, to love him, to serve him. And we spat in his face and we rejected him. And yet he still is merciful to us because we are in great need. He's in great need. He's rich in mercy. I want you to flip over to Matthew 19 real quick. There's a couple of things I want to look at in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 10. In this... Jesus often got into disagreements with the Pharisees who were what? Rule followers, right? Most of their rules, unfortunately, were their own rules, their own interpretation of things. And Jesus called them out for being hypocrites. He called them out for not really following what it is that they had asked others to do. In Matthew 19, we see a number of things. Look at actually verse one, some Pharisees uh, said when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and he came to the region of Judea and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall be joined and the two shall become one flesh? So they're no longer one, two, but one flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let no man separate. Therefore they said to him, why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? This is a rule. Shouldn't you follow this rule? He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You see, the Pharisees were concerned about rules and mostly rules that they had created. There was no mercy within them. I want you to flip over to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin... And have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. 
the Pharisees were the type of people that were so obsessed with rule following. And they created their own rules on top of God's rules. And there was no mercy within them. And they were quick to judge. And they were quick to rebuke. And they were quick to ostracize. But God, on the other hand, is merciful. He's merciful. He looks at our need and he takes pity on us. But his divine character is not mercy. His divine character is also love. It says, because, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And here is our, our verb. He loved us. Why did he love us? Because he's rich in mercy. Because that's just who he is. It's who he is. Because of his great, which is a, a large number or a quantity. He, he doesn't just love. Do you love a little? No, he loves. Some of you have a, an NFL team and, and you watch them casually. Some of you love your team. When it comes to, to college sports, I was talking with Wes and I said, Wes, don't forget to announce that Texas Tech beat UT. And then I was like, wait, there are no UT fans. So don't, don't bother with it, okay? I, I went to Texas Tech I cheer for Texas Tech. I, I, even, I even watch like two minutes of that game before I, before I fell asleep. I don't love college football. But yeah, I'll jump on the bandwagon when we get a big win. And Dan Ham loves UT, but he's not here. But I tell him he went to DeVry, so that doesn't really count anyways. There are things that we are uber super passionate about. And there are some things that we're kind of nah, casual about. Whether it's a, a sport or music or an instrument or a person or whatever it might be. God, full-blown, 100% intensity, loves us. He's not only super-duper rich in mercy. He has an abundant love which he pours out upon us. And that's why you get, go back to Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to what? To adoption. He didn't just save us. He didn't just forgive us. He took us into his family. He adopted us. To the kind intention of his will. You see this teaches us about election. We are all dead. So how does a dead person get saved? Well God before the foundation of the world. Chose divinely selected those that would be saved. And he ensured their salvation. By calling them through the Holy Spirit. And softening their heart. And drawing them unto him. Well that, that's so mean that he would save some. And not save others. How is that love? Who did he have to save? No one. He could have let us all perish. But he's merciful. And he's loving so he chose some. Well, that's, that's not fair. That's not justice. Nope. You know what justice would have been? To let us all perish. 
but he's merciful. He took pity on us. He loves us with a great and fantastic love. So he acts upon us. You know, one of the, two of the, the greatest illustrations that we get to kind of wrap our mind about around love, first would be marriage, right? Well, marriage as it, as it should be. And marriage is a picture of Christ and the church it's, it's, that we should learn from. And the husband and the wife should love each other. And what is love? It's, it's putting aside yourself for the needs of someone else and, and taking care of them and pouring out that love. And we as humans, sometimes we give a good representation of that. And then sometimes we not not so good in it. The other great illustration of love would be a parent to a child. And you roll your eyes, oh, not my parents. And then they have to remind you that it's them that, that loved you so much that they, they, they changed your diaper. And that they didn't just leave you at that grocery store when you threw that fit. That would have been a good one, all right? And that they pay for your stuff. And you don't really do a whole lot of work in, in return. And they pray for you and they drag you to church when you don't want to go to church. And man, they sure do love you. But even as parents, we don't love perfectly, do we? We don't love with the right motives sometimes. There are times that we get angry, we get upset. There's times that our own sin clouds our decisions and the things that we do. We're, we're, we're trying to love you as God loves you, but it, it pales in comparison. When we look at God... This is a, a perfect love. Our love, spouse to spouse, can fail because of our sin. But sometimes it fails just because we, we, we don't have the power to act upon something. As a parent to a child, sometimes our love fails because of our own sin or because of our own limitations. Does God sin? Does he wrestle with the effects of sin? No. Does he have any limita limitations? Limitations, that's kind of funny. Sounds delicious. Does he have any limitations in regards to his power? His sovereignty? No. So when he loves, he loves perfectly. You ever tried to express your love to someone by getting them the perfect gift? And you get them the gift and they go, oh, thanks. And you're like, ah. Oh. God perfectly executes his love at all times. That's his divine character. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is powerful. But he is also rich in mercy and he has loved us with a great love. The, the second aspect of why he did it is found in verse 7. And it is his divine will. His divine will. Let's look at verse 7 together. He did all of this. Actually, let me read up through all of it and it'll, it'll make sense to you. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Why? His divine will, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. He did it so that he might show. God wanted to draw attention to himself as the creator for his glory. How do people today bring attention to themselves and what they do? You haven't experienced this. I see that you live in a hole. Gresham, social media. Uh, what do you mean social media? Give me an example. Explain to me like I'm old because I am. Ah, Instagram. There you go. I look pretty today. Click. I want you to know that I look pretty. Or I ate food today. And I want you to know what that food looks like. Boom. There we go. What, what's another one of these things? Another one of these ways we, we draw attention to ourselves. Nothing? You don't really do the Twitter. You're too young for the book of face, right? You don't really do that. That's what old people do to show off our kids and stuff like that. You have your fun be real that you do now so that you can show fun pictures to your friends and, oh, look at everything. Ah! And then, you know, it's fine. It's not it's a bad thing necessarily. But sometimes we, we dress in a certain way. Sometimes we're tempted to dress provocatively to draw attention to ourselves. We, we do certain things. We talk loud. We do, uh, you know, we play sports sometimes for our own glory and not for the glory of God. There's lots of things that we do to bring attention to ourselves. And I'm not saying that all of those are necessarily bad things, but in and of themselves, sometimes they become bad things, right? Well, God does this in perfection. He wanted everyone to know something specifically. The surpassing riches of his grace and, uh, and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the book of Exodus, all right, we're, we're finishing up Genesis. In the book of Exodus, God wanted to show his power and his majesty to Israel and to all of the nations. So what did he do? He redeemed Israel from the clutches of Pharaoh. Romans 9.17, for the scripture says... Uh, to Pharaoh. For this very purpose, I raised you up, Pharaoh, to demonstrate my power that my name might, might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Egypt became a superpower because of that famine. Remember the famine and Joseph and all that? And while um, the, the people were starving, the nation of Egypt was cleaning up. And all of the people, they have to sell their land to the government to get enough food. And the government's raking it in. And they are powerful, powerful, powerful. And the people around hear about the power of Egypt and their army. They enslave the Israelites for over 400 years. And God sends one man to conquer this great nation. And he works through Moses and he produces miracles and Pharaoh doesn't listen. He hardens his heart. But then as we read on, it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why? So that the people can leave, so that God can part the Red Seas, so that the army of the Egyptians is wiped out and so that when the people of Israel get to the promised land, what do the inhabitants there know about? The glory of God. I mean, why did Rahab host the spies? Why did Rahab jump on the side of the Israelites? 
She said their heart melted when they heard what happened to Egypt. Egypt was greater than them. And God demonstrated his power and his glory through Pharaoh's hard heart. He saves us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. To demonstrate what? The riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Oh, we're the, the helpless dead person. And God is going to mercifully rescue us and transform us by his grace to show off his glory so that others will hear of that. And they'll want a part two. They'll want a part two. One of the reasons that we share our testimony when we get baptized isn't just to scare people off from being baptized. By the way, a little side note here. I believe we have 130 youth that are ministry approved. You want to know how many of you have been baptized? Ten. Okay? Some of you, you filled out an application three, four, five, six years ago making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but you have never responded in obedience to be baptized. And I know that our church, it's a little bit more intimidating, okay? But you need to understand the purpose and the reason. And what I'm saying is, you should t it's time to talk to your parents, okay? Time to talk to your parents about that. And we do have a number of youth getting baptized in our next couple of baptism services. It was really cool. But we share our testimony because we say, look, I was a sinner. And now I'm saved. I was a miserable wretch, and now I'm a servant of God because of what Jesus did for me. And I know of at least three people that have come to know the Lord from the baptism services. Remember when we did them on a Sunday morning? We're talking about doing them on a Sunday morning again. We had, uh, I can't remember if it was a youth or a college student, place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that morning. Because they sat there and they heard the testimony of someone. This is what I was. But this is how God has changed me and he's forgiven me. It's so important. And it's part of God's plan. In the ages to come. That means continually until Jesus comes, right? And there's a new heaven and a new earth and all of that stuff. God's uh, mercy and his love and his patience and his kindness and his power to save and his forgiveness will be shouted from the mountaintop through our lives. And that's why it's so important that we live not for ourselves, but for Jesus. If I say I'm a Christian, but I live like an unbeliever, it, that's a confusing mixed message for the world, right? Oh, God has loved you so much, but you're not going to love him in obedience? That doesn't make sense. And the world gets confused with that. I know Jesus. I love Jesus because what he has done for me, I'm going to live for Jesus so that I can let my light shine so that others may see that and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our dissection of God's deliverance, but God... We see that first of all, he is rich in mercy. 
Why is he rich in mercy? Because he has a great love with which he has loved us. But we see that the other aspect of his, uh, this answer is his divine will. So that in the ages to come, he might direct attention to the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The second question we're going to answer be, how did he do it? How did he do it? And this goes back to the theme of the book, our position in Christ. We are in him. In these verses, five and six, we're going to see with Christ, with him, with him. We see number one, he made us alive with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. And that word in the Greek, it can't be separated. So made us alive together with Christ, it's simply one verb. And that's what it is. The idea that Jesus Christ, well, when was Jesus dead? Remember, he died on the cross, okay? Fully man, fully God, submitted to the will of the Father, allowed himself to be crucified, gave up his spirit, died, but then he rose himself on the third day. And when he rose himself, he was then brought to the, the Father and seated at the right hand of the Father, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ, it's like our sins were nailed to the cross. Our old self was nailed to the cross. We died to self and we were made alive together with Christ Jesus. The word transgressions would be a violation of moral standards. A violation of moral standards. You know, every time we, we go to drop off our kids, we have a, a fantastic spreadsheet, Kim loves it, that charts all of our drop-off and pick-up times. Because our kids, between football and elementary school and middle school, they all have different times. And so we're driving back and forth half of the day, just getting to school and back 30, all right? It's beautiful, though. There's no stoplights. See, like, it's an enjoyable drive. It's complicated, though. But when you pull up, they have clearly communicated to us the proper procedures for drop-off and pick-up. And it is done for the smoothness of the drop-off, but also for the safety of the children. But every once in a while, like every day, you get that parrot, and it doesn't apply to them. And they're supposed to turn left, and they turn right. And we just say, party foul party foul. And then we move on. And every once in a while, the crossing guards will track them down and yell at them or something. And that's enjoyable, okay? Right? But we just move on. But that's really not that big of a deal, right? I mean, we're talking about the creator of the universe. And he has clearly ingrained on our heart, Romans 1. He has given it to us in his law. Don't lie. And we look at that command and we think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. 
that doesn't really apply to the situation that I'm in. Man, wouldn't it just be easier if I lied? Did you clean your room? Oh, yeah. Hoping that your mom will not go up there and check your room. Or, oh, yeah. I mean, why? Why do we lie? Craig was very clear about this in his lesson. Lying doesn't make us a liar. We already are a liar. I mean, why do we belittle people? Why do we make fun of people? I mean, why, why do we do mean things? Guys, that, that's sin. That's, that's who we are. And it's a violation of God's commands. But on the flip side, it's not just that you're mean to someone. Are you loving others with the maximum effort? Are you loving God at all times, 24-7, with maximum effort? I mean, when we sing the songs, are we praising the Lord and focusing on Him? Uh, during the lesson time, or are we praising God and glorifying Him? I mean, you think of every step of the way. Those are violations of his written law and they have left us dead in our transgressions. Look, if we had a friend and they constantly, they constantly broke our friendship with what they did and what they said, what would you do with that friend? Oh, you're dead to me. We're going to move in a different direction here. You probably wouldn't hang out with them anymore. If they constantly lied to you, and, and did things like that, right? Well, guys, we were dead. Even when we were dead, God still comes back and he acts upon us. Well, why? Well, remember his divine character. He's merciful, he's loving. Remember his divine will. We're wretches and he rescued us, which shows us how awesome he is and how powerful he is. I want you to go to, to Romans 5. I'll have to kind of skip through some of this for the sake of time. But when it comes to transgressions, there's a lot of great truths in Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, which we know is Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so that's the ultimate example. Look, you can eat of any fruit, any tree. You can eat whatever you want there, except this one tree uh-uh, no. Were they ever hungry? Were they left in want? I mean, I could understand if uh, that tree had like zebra cakes or like, you know, donuts or something like that. And that, I mean, I, but no, it, it, they had whatever they wanted. But they took and they violated God's moral standards. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sin. For until, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, de death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the exact likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the, on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. 
For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as though, sorry, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, which is the cross, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And that's it. Okay? God is righteous. We must be declared righteous. So how do we get righteousness? Jesus lived a righteous life. And he died on the cross... And when we repent and believe in him, he imputes his righteousness to us. So our bank account is full of righteousness because of the cross. So how did he do it? Through the cross, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has made us alive together with Christ. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Well, what does that mean? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He lavished on us. How did he make us alive? I want you to go to Colossians 2 verse 9. Remember Ephesians and Colossians are kind of sister books. If you don't know where Colossians is, Eat is Ephesians. Popcorn is Philippians. All right, the P part and then corn. So go to the right two books. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. Now, this isn't the water baptism. And some would teach it like that. That you're not saved until you've been baptized by water. No, we're talking about baptized into death. Baptism of the Spirit here having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together. Same word. He made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Think of it this way. Every bad thought that you have ever had, God has an account of it. Every bad word you ever said, Every single time and moment that you are not loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind perfectly, God has an account of it. And if you're honest with yourself, how big is that book? How long is that scroll? But when you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
God takes that certificate of debt that you owe him and he nails it to the cross and it goes away. It goes away. He made us alive together with Christ, but it took the nails, it took the blood of Christ. And he did not do it because of anything good in us. By grace you have been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. What did he do next? He made us alive together with Christ. Number two, he raised us up with Christ. Raised us up with Christ. We see that in verse six. So he didn't just stay dead. He made us anew and he raised us with him. And one day we will reign and rule with him. Number three, he seated us with Christ. He seated us with Christ. With him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. There was a, a, a Disney movie that, I don't know if it was very popular. It's called the, the Prince of Persia. And one of the princes of that movie, the hero, was a street rat like Aladdin. I think they just ripped off the Aladdin story and made it with time travel. And the king saw him, this street rat, and he brought him into his family and he made him one of his own. Which we're like, man, that's kind of a cool story. It's not real. It's kind of a true story. God didn't just forgive us. He, he didn't just excuse what we did, right? He dealt, he dealt with it on the cross, a high price to pay. And yes, he forgave us. But then he also said, come into my house. Why don't you, why don't you sit at my table? Why don't you dine with me? Why don't you sit next to Christ and rule and reign with Christ? And do you see the difference here? It's not that God just tolerates us. And, and you know the feeling when the, the odd relatives come in town and you're supposed to watch the, the younger cousin or whatever it is and you kind of tolerate them. Or sometimes you tolerate your younger brother or sister. No, he loves us. He loves us. And it, it's, it's amazing. Well, how are we going to conclude this? Just two things. If you're an unbeliever, you are still dead in your sins. In what ways have you broken the king's commandments today? Hard heart, impure thoughts, disobedience to parents, hatred of his word. What about this week, unbeliever? Do you think for a moment that he, he'll just leave you unpunished? Do you think that? I mean, sometimes you're in a car and you're going too fast. And then you see a police officer and they're, not you, your parents, they, they slam on the brakes and they, so maybe, maybe you didn't see me. Maybe you let me go. And sometimes, yeah, they pull you over and they give you a warning or sometimes they go, ah, that's not that bad. Go along your way. We think God works like that. Whew. If you're honest with yourself, you are a terrible wretch. And God will not leave that unpunished. But if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you, who is pleading with you to come to the cross, he will wash you of those sins and he will make you alive with him and he will raise you up with him and he will seat you with him. Don't walk away from that offer of salvation.
For the believer, you have a great position and purpose. Did you catch verse 7? You are to exemplify the kindness and the grace that God has poured out to you. Take that love and go love others. Take the truth and go tell others. Be that light. Be that example. You get to relay God's grace to the world. He saved us to show the might of his plan, of his riches, of his goodness, of his grace. Go live it and go tell others. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that all of this has been clearly defined and detailed in your very word. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would tremble at the truths that we have learned contained in your holy scriptures. For the unbeliever, I pray that you would break them and give them, grant them the repentance and faith that they need. And for the believer, may they all the more resolve to follow your truth, remembering what you have done for them. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.